Jesus asked 307 questions. And many times we think that Jesus is the answer guy. And that when he speaks, conversation ends. But you know what? Jesus is actually the conversation starter because he's always asking really good questions. We're in a series called All Due Respect. And so if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be on John chapter 9, which is page number 890. And we're just going to be here just for a few minutes this morning. And what we're doing is we're, we're in a series and we're, we're all, we're, we're, we're talking about the central concept, the central theme um, that Christians are called to treat people right always, not to be right. Now, there's always times where you're going to have to draw the line. There's always times that you're going to have to kind of contend for something and move something forward. But Christians are always called to treat people right, not to be right. And when you are in those moments when you have to be right, you still have to treat people right. And when in those moments when you have to maybe kind of lay something down for the sake of a relationship, uh, that's something that the Bible teaches is a good thing. And so Christians are always called to treat people right, not to be right. And the, the concept of respect means this. It's, uh, the word respect means, uh, the, if you look at the root word, actually, it means to look at again. To spect is to see, um, and respect is to look at again. And so it's this idea where when we can see something, we think we see something, but we have to be able to look at it again in order to properly respect it. And we have to hold people in high regard and treat them as valuable. And that's what I love about Mother's Day is that, is that you see your child and, and you know that he's created in the image of God, that you love them in a way that like, just is so outside of this world, right? I, I heard one person say one time that parenting is like having your heart walk outside of your body, walk around outside of your body. And, and that's so true. And, and that's really the type of, of love and that type of, of respect or that type of value that the scriptures teach us that we should have on all of life. That really, when we see people, we should see them the way God sees them with that same type of love, that same type of joy, the same type of value because they were created in his image. And so we have to respect. And, and in today's culture, it's so polarized that Jesus is always going to teach us our good, solid middle third way that helps us not contend for the poles that we come from, but to fight for the relationships of the people that we're around. Um, because many times we know we can get kind of stuck in, this, in, these, uh, in these chambers, man, where all we're bouncing the same ideas, the same images of, a, of our life that we just are constantly confirming our own thoughts uh, but, but Jesus is saying, I want you to learn my ways. I want you to learn the Jesus way so that you can not just fight for a set of ideas, but that you can fight for the relationships and the value of people. And so we need to be people that, that follow the Jesus way in this moment so that we can actually find this third way. And so one of the major questions that we always ask um, when we're trying to teach this in a solid way, whenever we're engaging culture, we want to be just like Jesus. We have to ask this question. What, when engaging culture, what should I reject? What should I receive? Or what should I redeem? When we are engaging the culture, whether that's watching TV, whether that's in, uh, watching a movie together, or whether we're reading the newspaper or you know, tracking along on our Facebook uh, accounts and, and interacting with social media, we always have to be asking the question and sifting through the information this way. What should I reject? What should I receive? Or what should I be able to see redemption come 
from. And there were many groups of people in the first century. They had all different types of people that, that were split up amongst the nation of Israel. And they, were, they all engaged culture in different ways. And this is a quick list that we wanted to, to, that they all kind of rejected, redeemed, and received in different ways. But the one group was the Pharisees. These were like the pastors, kind of the church leaders at the time. Um, and, and they were, they just were like mildly angry people all the time. Like that's just the Bible gives them that type of a rap. But they rejected everything, meaning like there's nothing good in the world, and we can't be a part of anything. We got to find our own ways to do, and we got to be really all about the law, and we got to make all these little checklists so that people feel like that they're, they're in on God's way of doing things. So I want you to reject everything. And then there's a group of religious leaders called the Sadducees, and they just were really just completely, uh, had no really uh, idea of, of what God stood for, or really what, really where the world stood for, and so it all kind of worked its own way out. And they just received everything. They just lived like normal lives, like didn't really ask any meaningful questions. They just received everything. And then you had zealots. Now, zealots were the real passionate ones. In fact, we still use the word today. We kind of call someone a zealot for something. Uh, but they would fight for the purity of their nation. They, they were saying, they, we needed to overthrow Rome and we needed to get, the, get, get our country back to the way that it, that it needs to be and, and get the country back to the type of, you know, I ideas that really established it. We need, and they would fight for it. They would start battles and wars. And, and we had people that like literally would kill other people in the name of this purity. And, uh, and then we have Essenes. Essenes were the weird ones, okay? Uh, they, they had like neighborhoods all out in the you know, sides of mountains. And, and they were so overly spiritual that they would just remove themselves for the sake of piety. Just, they wanted to show themselves, how, show everyone how holy they were. They wanted to just, just, just kind of be removed and didn't really want to be disrupted very much with the, with the culture. And, you know, they did all this sort of, you know, all, they did all these sorts of things differently because they wanted to be so holy and just tell everyone about it. But they were kind of a little strange and weird and disconnected. And, and, but really, you know, Jesus always shows us the proper way to do it. And it's never a polarized Way. It's really just the best way. And he's, Jesus always pursued people for redemption's sake. Always. He always closed the gap. And you know, Jesus, you know, he's creator of the universe. So he could have stayed where he was, uh, up in heaven, just stayed there and done anything he wanted to do about the way that the world was moving. But he decided that the best way was to leave all of that closed the gap with people, and he wanted to go sit in the midst of the junk. Like, Jesus never did a boycott. Like, he just always, like, always pursued it for the sake of relationship. I'm so glad Jesus didn't boycott us in our sin, in our junk. When we're going through something tough, Jesus always maneuvers towards us, always pushes towards us. Never creates that. He just always finds himself. In fact, he was so like this that they were so mad at him for the people he ate dinner with. Like, like oh, man, who, are you, where are you eating dinner? And who are you eating with? Like, like, he just always found this way to pursue people for the sake of redemption. People that, he, that were nothing like him. He would find ways to become all about their reality so that they could find and feel their way towards him. And so what we call that in today's culture is a missionary. A missionary is cross-cultural, changes their whole like, reality, says, I'm going to go pursue people. I'm going to go learn about their culture. I'm going to go learn about who they are so that I can best present the way of Jesus to them. 
And there's a story in John chapter 9 that's going to teach us to think like this. Um, it's going to teach us to kind of ask some good questions. And one of the first things, that I, I, kinda, we, we, I want to pull out some good questions to ask. Because when we're engaging culture, we should be asking good questions. You know, Jesus, um, they actually, Jesus was uh, asked 300, no, Jesus asked 307 questions in the Gospels. He asked 307 questions. He was asked 183 questions in the gospel, and he only directly answered three of them, which frustrates every American ever. Because we're like, what do you, just answer the question, dude. Like, come on, just answer the question. But you know, Jesus asked 307 questions. And many times we think that Jesus is the answer guy. And that when he speaks, conversation ends. But you know what? Jesus is actually the conversation starter because he's always asking really good questions. And when we are missionaries, we want to engage culture and we want to see the you know, respect happen in a brand new way. We have to engage culture the way Jesus did by asking some good questions. So John chapter nine is going to show us that. So here we go. John nine is what it says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned by us, uh, assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was and others said, no, he, look, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I so I went and washed, and now I can see. And so just a few questions that you should ask to engage culture well the same way Jesus did here. Number one, the first question is, where is God working, and how can I help? Where is God working, and how can I help? And, and, and if you see what's happening here in this text, right in the first few verses, the disciples, they say, hey, hey Jesus, who sinned, this man or this, his man's parents. So they deeply believed that if something was wrong, it was tied to the state of their spiritual condition. And Jesus was saying, no, 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 that's, that's actually not the, the case what's going on. See, the disciples, they saw this man as an object. But Jesus saw this man as an opportunity to display God's glory. Do you see the difference there? See, many of us, we, we get stuck into treating people like objects instead of treating people like opportunities. It sees opportunities for God's glory to be on display. See, I love about this is that mothers do this the best way, don't they? Is that they, they don't just see their kids as, as just objects. Sometimes for me as a dad, I'm just like, I see them as little projects, right? And they just got to like grow up a certain way and they got to make me proud. And, you know, they got to say the right things and eat the right vegetables. And they got to, you know, like these little projects that you have to, you know, get, you know, get off into the world the right way. But moms don't do that. Moms see their children's little opportunities, little relationships that they can foster and engage with. 
And, and, and so, but, but Jesus, this is exactly what he's doing, right? Jesus is saying to, this, to this, his followers that people aren't objects. They're not objects. And so what Jesus does is he takes this man, he, he, and, he, and he puts you know, mud on his eyes, because you know, that's a blessing, apparently, and, and, and it says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And it was in this man's sentness, like Jesus, he's being sent by God. It's in his sentness, engaging what he is uh, being told to do, that he finds a whole new life. He really finds a whole new way to see the world by seeing and engaging Jesus's way of life here. He says it's in our sentence. So all throughout the book of John, all throughout John's story of Jesus, he's actually calling Jesus the sent one, the sent one, the sent one. And then in John 20, this is what Jesus says to us. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. See, it's in our sentness when we're following hard after God and we're saying, okay, his way of life is the best way to live. And he, not only is he sent, but he sends us. And when he sends us into the world to to begin interacting with people the way that he created them to be interacted with, and when we honor them and expect them and value them the way that God does as as images of, of him, we're able to see that he's actually at work and that we aren't, that he's actually up to something, and we can actually participate in what he's up to when we aren't so stuck in seeing people like objects, but seeing them like opportunities. Are we tracking on that this morning? So the first question you have to ask in a really meaningful way is the question, where is God working, and how can I help? People are not objects. They're opportunities to see God's glory to be displayed. And that means we love people. We don't treat them as object lessons like these first disciples did. And so it goes on from there. It says the second question that we really have to ask as missionaries, if we're going to engage culture like Jesus and do it the best way because he decided it was the best way, is that is, that, is there more going on here to what, than what I see? Is there more going on here than what I see? And, and for, for Jesus, uh, he's, he's interacting with this guy, and these neighbors show up, right? These neighbors are saying, this guy used to beg on the, the street corner, and now he doesn't. And it, it was such a big change for them that they even thought that he was, like, not even the same person at all. See, what happens, if you're like the neighbor this morning, like if the disciples treated him like an object, the neighbors, they didn't even see it because they, did, they had all of these things in their head, all of these ways of viewing the world and all of these ways of interacting with the world that it didn't line up with. The, see, the neighbors, they thought, well, this guy just must be a brand new guy because he's certainly not the guy that was begging on the street corner because that can't happen. He said, no, no, no. These neighbors, they, they actually are engaging with this person the way that God sees them now, with new eyes. See, we all have these little biases in our heads. We all have these ways of seeing the world that when we see something new, we either send it one way or send it the other way. And it's usually based off our comfort. But someone who engages the world well, someone who engages culture well, someone who watches the news or social media or anything like that, they ask this question, is there more going on here to what I see? Because I'm not the end result. I'm not the judge. I am not the, I'm not the, the infallible person in the world. And so I can't be like these neighbors because I, for all I know, I could be surprised at any given time. 
I could be surprised at all. So is there more going on here to what I see? And this, again, I love the fact that moms illustrate this so well, because sometimes you can have your two or three-year-old just freaking out, screaming, crying, or whatever, that sort of thing. And what, see, dads were like, stop crying, stop doing that. And the moms were like, you need a nap. There's something going on here. Like, you're screaming about this, but really, you just need a nap, right? And like, you know, like, all right, let's get some Benadryl, get this kid a nap, right? And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I just, I, that, that's just me. I just do that. But, uh, but like, we need to get this kid a nap, right? Because there's something more happening here than what I see. See, sometimes we can engage with the content, right? Or that Facebook post comes in or something happens in our life or our kids says something. We begin fighting over the content. But good missionaries, good parents, good adults, good thinking people always ask the question, is there more going on here than what I see? God, would you help me see what's going on here so that there can be wisdom and there can be direction and there can be leadership and then there can be peace instead of chaos. Is there more going on here than what I see? And then the story kind of changes and shifts after that, and, and these Pharisees get involved. Remember, I said these were the, these were the guys you didn't really want to be like. The New Testament kind of paints them as that. But it says this in verse 13, then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made mud and healed him. That was the big deal. So you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath, but Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath. And some of the Pharisees said, uh, uh, the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud on my eyes when I washed away and I could see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he was working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. The Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, Uh, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this, said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he is old enough, ask him. And the story continues where this is same scene is happening over and over and over again. And so if you're not like the disciples, you know, where you're treating people like objects, you're not like the neighbors where you're just not really worrying about because it doesn't line up with your view of life. The prophets... The, the Pharisees began engaging with this in a slightly different way. And so to overcome this, we have to ask this question. What is worth defending? What is worth defending? See, because for the Pharisees, they defended the system. Right? right? Jesus heals this man. He goes from not seeing to seeing. And what the Pharisees said, because they is so outside of their viewpoint, it's so outside of their way of thinking, it's so outside of their theology that they call Jesus a sinner. Well, no, no, that's you can't. That can't be. That can't be right. Well, that can't be the thing. No, 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 no. That can't. No, that's that can't happen. And what they begin to do is defending their system. They hold on to it so tightly, and they're realizing that Jesus is literally deconstructing it. 
Jesus is literally creating all sorts of new things that happen. And, and Jesus is responding to this man in a way that really we all should be responding to people with, but they're responding to him as an object. Saying, you're the one that's, that's, that's kind, of, kind of going against all of our preconceived notions about how God should work. You're the one that's kind of, moody, like you're, you have this theology now that, that all of a sudden is against our theology, and so you must be wrong. You have a viewpoint and experience that I never had. And in fact, we, we, you healed them on the Sabbath. That means you're definitely wrong. And they begin defending a system that Jesus is trying to deconstruct. And how often do we do that as people? Sometimes we don't even give it the time of day because it doesn't line up with how we think God is working. And if we think that that's the, pl- that's the starting point, then we all need to get reintroduced to Jesus because he's the starting point. He's the one that centers everything. And this is what, so here's a quick little breakdown that I wanted to just lay out for you to show you that the way that Jesus responds to this man versus the Pharisees are two completely different things. See, Jesus went towards the man. He didn't see him as an object. He saw him as an opportunity to go engage with him and be in relationship with him. The Pharisees, what they say in verse 13, they call this man in here completely in a devaluing way. The Jesus, he was theologically generous. He was saying, no, no, no. Look, there's no sin or sin this or sin that. You know, this man was in this opportunity so that God's glory could be on display, so that God could work. It wasn't about a theological discussion. But the Pharisees, they were theologically restrictive. This could never happen. No, 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 no. This doesn't line up with the way that we've established the Bible to work. This isn't the way that we establish things to be. And so they must be wrong, and Jesus is the sinner. And sometimes we can get caught in calling Jesus the same thing when it doesn't line up with what we think our theology should be. Jesus also displays God's glory, but the Pharisees demand that everyone adhere to their way. So much so, there's so much restriction, there's so much pressure, so much anxiety in this moment that he actually puts pressure on the man's parents and the parents send it over to the kid. <laughs> like talk about like lack of parenting at that moment. You're like, I don't know, not my kid. Like he talks to his wife, how about your child, right? <laughs> Sometimes we do that. He says, let's send it over, let's go ask, let's go ask him. Because there's so much pressure, so much anxiety when we stay to protecting our own system versus understanding God's way. Uh, Jesus wants to be this man's savior, but the Pharisees just call them all sinners because they're all different and they're all outside of their way of thinking. Jesus sends this man out, but the Pharisees, it says later on, kick him out. And Jesus ultimately says later, that the Pharisees are more blind that this man, than this man ever was because of the way they treated him and the way they interacted with this whole new set of ideas and beliefs. See, here's the deal, gang. When Jesus is at work, there's going to be expanse and there's going to be movement. There's going to be joy. There's going to be whole new realms that you've never experienced before. And if you think you have it all figured out, you're slowly moving yourself into God's seat in your life. If you think that God will never include some new experience and some new ways, some new questions for you to ask, then you're really not being in strong relationship with him. You're just allowing him to establish himself and to engage the world on your terms. 
But that's not what Jesus does here. He, he's going to work, and he's going to allow us to respond to people and engage culture in really awesome ways. We're going we're gonna to go towards people instead of thinking they need to come to us. No, no, no. We're not going to keep, we're not gonna keep our, our, our seats in heaven the way that it needs to be. We're going to go towards people just like Jesus did. We're going to be theologically generous. We're going to allow for open spaces some big questions to ask because Jesus asked great questions, and so do we. Even to the point where there's even good doubting going on. We're like, I'm not sure here, God. I don't know what's going on, but I do know that you're at work. And then we're, we want to be on display, God's glory on display through our life. Not just trying to get people to adhere to our own vision. And we want to point, Jesus to, to, point, to people, uh, point people to Jesus as their savior. And then be sent out by him into the world so that we're not stuck being good old Christian people and everything feels so holy and good. But we want to go get involved in people's messes just like Jesus did. And we want things to be crazy and weird. Why? Because Jesus did the same thing. He went and sat in the middle of it and said, this will be a place and an opportunity for God's glory to make itself known. So we have to ask good questions. Where is God working and how can we help? We have to ask, is there more going on here than what I see because I'm not the last guy that's making all the final judgments in the world? And we have to ask ourselves the question, that we have to ask ourselves this, this idea of, of what is worth defending because if you want Jesus to be the way that you engage the world, if you want to engage the world like Jesus, always pursuing people for redemption's sake, if you want that to be the core of who you are, you are going to start arguing about things that don't even, are not even hitting your radar right now. The things that you think are so crucial and so important and so bring so much like anxiety to you, you're going to realize are not in anywhere close to the values that Jesus has for you in the world. If you want to engage well, we have to say, God, what are you doing? And how can I help you? Show me what's actually taking place here so that I can defend the things that you defend. See, gang, sometimes we get stuck Right? We think Jesus works in, in either an MSNBC way or a Fox News way. Can I get an amen, right? We think we do. And that's nothing more than a polarized viewpoint. But what Jesus is inviting us into is a way of looking at the world that always pursues and honors and values the people that he created. And so that is going to include us not seeing people like objects, but seeing people like opportunities to point them towards Christ, to point them to a whole new way of life. So they, they're, they're blind, but they, they can see. And that's his invitation for you today. You might not be like one of these three. You might not be like a disciple or a neighbor or a Pharisee, but you might be the blind man. And Jesus wants to work in your life in a whole new way today. He wants, you to, he wants to open your eyes to a realm that you've never even understood. He wants you to see your life in a way that you never saw it before. And in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our struggle, we can actually have the eyes of Jesus for our own lives and for the people around us. And so his invitation for you to this Mother's Day 
is to engage the world like he does. Not, not removing yourself, thinking you're holier than everybody else, but to pursue everybody to see God's glory on display. And so today you might have someone that you need to go pursue just to go share and care and love. And this weekend would be a great way to do that.